The Education of Little Tree by Forrest Carter. Chapter 12, At the Crossroads Store. Grandma, taking a pencil and paper, showed me how much I lost in my trade with the Christian. Turns out, I didn't lose but 40 cents as I cleared a dime off the calf hide. I put the dime in my fruit jar and didn't take it in my pocket no more it being safer in the jar. On our next run, I made a dime, and Grandma upped it with a nickel. This gave me 25 cents, so I was beginning to get my money built back up. Though I had lost 50 cents at the store, I always looked forward to delivering our wares, though carrying my toe sack was a pretty good job. I was learning five words a week out of the dictionary, and Grandma would explain the meanings, then had me put the words in sentences. I used my sentences considerable on the way to the store. This would get Grandpa to stop while he figured out what I was saying. I could catch up with the rest, I could catch up and rest with my fruit jars. Sometimes Grandpa would totally knock out words saying, I didn't have to use that word no more, which speeded me up considerable in the dictionary. Like the time I got down to the word abhor, Grandpa, got, Grandpa had got way ahead of me on the trail, and I had been practicing a sentence with that word, so I hollered to Grandpa, I abhor briars, yellow jackets, and such. Grandpa stopped. He waited till I caught up with him and set down my load of fruit jars. What did ye say, Grandpa asked? I said, I abhor briars, yellow jackets, and such. I said. Grandpa looked down at me so steady hard that I commenced to feel uneasy about the whole thing. What in hell, Grandpa said, has whores got to do with priors and yeller jackets? I told him that I didn't have no way in the world of knowing, which I didn't, but the word was abhor, and it meant that you could hardly stand something. Grandpa said, well, why don't you just say you can't stand it instead of using abhor? I said, I couldn't figure out myself, but it was in the dictionary. Grandpa got pretty worked up about, about it. He said the meddlesome son of a bitch that invented the dictionary ought to be taken out and shot. Grandpa, Grandpa said that more than likely this same feller had worked up half a dozen more words that could discolor the meaning of the same thing. He said this was why politicians could get away with liquor folks and always claiming they didn't say this or that or that they did. Grandpa said if you could check it out, the damn dictionary was either put up by a politician or there was some behind it, which sounds reasonable. Grandpa said I could just knock out that word, which I did. There was 
Usually, a lot of men around the store in the wintertime or during laying by time. Laying by time was usually in August. That was the time of the year after the farmers had done with the plowing and hoeing weeds out of their crops four or five times. And the crops was big enough now that they laid by, that is, no hoeing or plowing, while the crops ripened and they waited to do the gathering. After we delivered our wares and Grandpa got paid and I had picked up the wood chips for Mr. Jenkins and taken the stick of old candy off his hands, me and Grandpa always squatted under the store shed with our backs against the wall and kind of stretched out the time. Grandpa had $18 in his pocket, of which I would get at least a dime when we got home. He had usually bought some sugar or coffee for Grandma, sometimes a little wheat flour, if things was going good. Besides, we had just finished up a pretty hard week in the whiskey-making trade. I always finished off the stick of old candy while we set. It was a good time. We listened to the men talking about things. Some of them said there was a depression and fellers, was, fellers were jumping out of windows in New York and shooting them, their cells in the head about it. But Grandpa told me that New York was crowded all up with people who didn't have enough land to live on and likely half of them was run crazy from living that away which accounted for the shootings and the winder jumping. Usual, there was somebody cutting hair at the store. They would set a straight chair under the shed and take turns getting their hair sheared by a feller. Another man, everybody called him Old Man Barnett, jumped teeth. Not many people could jump teeth. This was when you had a bad tooth and had to get it taken out. Everybody liked to watch old man Burnett working, jumping teeth. He would set the feller whose tooth he was going to jump down in a chair. Then he would heat up a wire over a fire until the wire was red hot. He stuck the wire on the tooth and then taking a nail, placed it against the tooth and with the hammer, he just hit it a secret way and the tooth just jumped out on the ground. He was right proud of his trade and would make everybody stand back while he done it so they wouldn't nobody learn it. One time another old feller about the same age as old man Barnett, they called him Mr. Let, he come to get a bad tooth jumped. Old man Barnett set Mr. Let down in the chair, heated up his wire, stuck the wire to Mr. Let's tooth, but Mr. Lett wrapped his tongue around the wire. He bellered, hollered, he bellered louder and a bull and kicked old man Barnett in the stomach, knocking him over backwards. This made old man Barnett mad and he hit Mr. Lett in the head with a chair. They got to fighting on the ground till everybody crowded in and pulled them apart. They stood cussing one another a while or at least old man Barnett was cussing. You couldn't understand what Mr. Lett was saying, but he was mad. Finally, they calmed down and a bunch of men held Mr. Lett and 
drawled out his tongue and poured turpentine on it. He left. It was the first time I ever saw old man Barnett fail to jump a tooth, and he didn't take it lightly. He'd taken pride in his trade and went around explaining to everybody why it was that he hadn't jumped that tooth. He said that Mr. Lett's fault, which I reckon it was, I made up my mind right then that I was not ever going to have a bad tooth. Or if I did, I wasn't going to let old man Barnett know about it. At the store is where I got acquainted with the little girl. She would come with her paw during laying by time or in the winter. Her paw was a young man who wore ragged overalls and was most time barefooted. The little girl was always barefooted, even when it was cold. Grandpa said they were sharecroppers, and he said sharecroppers didn't own no land, nor nothing else to speak of, usually not even a bedstead or a chair. They would work on somebody else's land and would sometimes get half of what the owner got for his crop, but mostly they just got a third. They called it working on halves or on thirds. Grandpa said by the time everything was taken out, what they had at all year and the seed and the fertilizer costs, which the landlord paid for, the use of the mules and about everything else, it always turned up that the sharecropper didn't actually make nothing but something to eat, not much of that. Grandpa said the bigger the family that a sharecropper had, the better chance he had of getting on with the landlord, for then everybody in the family worked in the fields. A big family could do more work. He said sharecroppers all tried to have big four, big families for it was necessary. He said the wives worked in the fields picking cotton and hoeing and such and put their babies under shade trees or somewheres to scuffle for themselves. Grandpa said Indians would not do it. He said he would take to the woods and run rabbits for a living before he'd do it. But he said somehow or another, some folks get caught in it and couldn't get out. Grandpa said it was the fault of the damn politicians who spent all their time yammering around, using up words instead of working at a trade they were supposed to work at. He said some landlords was mean and some wasn't, like everybody else, but it always come out at settling up time after the crops was gathered that more likely there was a big disappointment. That's why sharecroppers moved every year. Every winter they'd hunt for new land and find one. They'd move to another shack and sit around the kitchen table at night, the paw and ma, and build up dreams as to how this year on this place they was going to make it. Grandpa said that they held on to that all during spring and summer until the crops was gathered. Then it was all bitter again. That's why they moved every year and folks didn't, that didn't understand called them shiftless, which Grandpa says was another damn word, like calling them irresponsible for having so many youngins, which they had to do. Me and Grandpa talked about it on the trail home, and he got so worked up about it that we rested might near an hour. I got worked up about it too and seen right off that Grandpa had a total understanding of politicians. I told Grandpa that the son bitches 
ought to be run off. Grandpa stopped talking about it, cautioned me again that son of a bitch was a brand new cuss word that carried much starch and that Grandma would total put us out of the cabin if I used them around her. I marked that down right then. It was a pretty powerful set of words. The little girl come and stood in front of me one day while I was squatting under the store shed eating the old candy. The little girl's paw was in the store. She had tangled up hair. She had tangled up hair and her teeth was rotten. I hoped, I hoped old man Barnett didn't see her. She wore a toe sack for a dress and just stood still looking at me and crossing her toes back and forth in the dirt. I felt right bad eating the candy and so I told her she could lick on it for a while. She didn't bite any off. For I wouldn't have to for I would have to have it back. She took the candy and licked on it pretty regular. She said she could pick a hundred pounds of cotton in a day. She said she had a brother that could pick two hundred pounds and that her ma, when she was feeling right, could pick three hundred. She said she had known her pa to pick five hundred pounds it if he picked into the night time. She said they didn't put rocks in their picking sacks neither to cheat on the weight and, 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 and was known for giving an honest day's work. She said her whole and entire family was known for that. She asked me how much cotton I could pick and I told her I'd never picked none. She said she'd figured that for everybody knowed that Indians was lazy and wouldn't work. I taken back my candy. But she said after that, that it wasn't because we couldn't help it, that we was just different. And maybe we'd done other things. I let her lick the candy. I let her lick some more on the candy. It was still winter time, and she said their family was all listening for the turtle dove. It was well known, she said, that whenever, whatever direction you heard the turtle doves calling, that was the direction you was going to move the next year. She said they had not heard it yet, but was expecting to just any time, for they had been total cheated by the landlord, and her paw had fell out with him, so they had to move. She said her paw had come to the store to see about talking to somebody there that might want a good family on their place which was known for giving honest work and causing no trouble at all. She said she expect they would come up with about the best place they could have ever thought of, for her Paul said the word was getting around about how hard workers they was. And so next year they would be sitting pretty. She said that after the crop was in on the new place, they'd be going to, she was going to get a doll. She said her mom said it would be a store-bought doll. It had real hair and eyes that would open and close. She said more than likely she would get a whole lot of other things too as they would be practical rich. I told her we didn't own no land except the mountain hollow with our corn patch and that we was mountain folk with no use at all for valley farming or flatlands. I told her I had a dime. She wanted to see it but I told her it was at home in the fruit jar. I said that I didn't carry it because a Christian had slickered me out of the out of 50 cents once, and I was no wise figuring for another 
to slicker me out of my dime. She said she was a Christian. She said she got the Holy Ghost on set at a Bush Arbor meeting and got saved. She said her pa and ma got the Holy Ghost practically every time they went and said they would talk in the unknown tongue when they got it. She said being a Christian made you happy and that Bush Arbors was uh, times when they was happiest, being full of the Holy Ghost and all. She said I was going to hell as I hadn't been saved. I'd seen off, I'd, I'd seen right off she was a Christian for while she was talking, she had licked my stick candy to practically a nub. I got back what was left of it to tell grandma about the little girl. Grandma made a pair of moccasin slippers. The top part of the moccasins she made was some of my calf hide leaving the hair on it. They were pretty. Grandma put two little red colored beaded beads on top of each moccasin. Next month when we went to the grocery store, I get I give the moccasins to the little girl she put them on. I told her grandma made them for her and they didn't cost nothing. She ran up and down in front of the store washing her feet and you could tell she was proud of the moccasins for she would stop and wrung her fingers over the beads. I told her the hair hide came from my calf, which I had sold to Grandma. When, a, when her paw came out of the store, she followed him down the road, skipping in her moccasins. Me and Grandpa watched them. When they got a little ways down the road, the man stopped and looked at the little girl. He talked to her, and she pointed back towards me. The man went to the side of the road and cut a keen switch from a persimmon bush. He held the little girl by one arm and whipped her on the legs hard and then on the back. She cried but didn't move. He whipped her until the switch wore out and everybody under the store shed watched, but they didn't say anything. Then he made the little girl sit down on the road and pull off the moccasins. He come walking back, holding the moccasins in his hand and me and Grandpa stood up. He didn't pay any attention to Grandpa, but walked right up and looked down at me, and his face was hard and his eyes shining. He poked the moccasins at me, which I'd taken, and he said, Winds don't take no charity from nobody, and especially heathen savages. I was right scared. He whirled around and walked off down the road, his ragged overalls flapping. He walked right by the little girl and she followed him. She wasn't crying. She walked stiff with her head up real proud and didn't turn to look at anybody. You could see the big red stripes on her legs. Me and Grandpa left. On the trail, Grandpa said he didn't bear the sharecropper no ill. Grandpa said he reckoned that pride was all he had, howsoever misplaced. He said the feller figured he couldn't let the little girl nor any of his young'uns come to love pretty things for they couldn't have them. So he whipped them when they showed a liking for things they couldn't have. And he whipped them until they learned so that in a little while they knowed they was not to expect them things. They could look forward to the Holy Ghost as getting their happy times and they had their pride in next year. Grandpa said he didn't fault me for not catching on right off. He said he had the advantage for years ago 
as he walked a trail near a sharecropper shack. He had seen a fellow come out in his backyard where two of his little girls were looking, sitting under a shade tree at a Sears Roebuck catalog. Grandpa said that filler, feller took a switch and whipped them young youngins till the blood ran out of their legs. He said he watched and the feller took the Sears Roebuck catalog and he went behind the barn. He burned up the catalog, tore it all up first like he hated that catalog. Grandpa said then the feller sat down against the bar where nobody could see him and he cried. Grandpa had seen that and so he knowed. Grandpa said he had, said you had to understand, but most people didn't want to. It was just too much trouble, so they used other words to cover their own laziness and called other folks shiftless. I towed the moccasin slippers home. I put them under my toe sack where I kept my overalls and shirt. I didn't look at them. They reminded me of the net little girl. She never came back to the crossroads store near her paw, so I reckon they moved. I figured they heard the turtle dove from far away.